Hello and welcome to What the Heck, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. Every week we look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, and then look at the theory surrounding it. I'm your host Glenn, and I can't give you the answers to these unexplained things, because I don't know what they are. I'm just here to give you the information to decide for yourself. All research is done as academically as I can, and references are given at the end of the episode. This is the opening week of season three. We're looking at a big topic this time. These episodes are all unexplained phenomena. For opening week of season three, we're looking at demonic possession. We're currently looking at case studies of possession after looking at the history and theories of possession and exorcism earlier this week. These episodes come with a warning. I will be looking at some pretty gruesome stuff and mistreatment of people who may have been ill. If that's not something you want, skip these episodes. Today, we're looking at George Lukins. George Lukins lived in the 18th century, and he's the earliest case we're looking at this week. Rewind to 1769. It's Christmas, and George Lukins, ventriloquist, singer, and actor, is performing in the Christmas time mummeries. Mummers' plays were an early form of pantomime. George was in the middle of a run of performances when he felt something. He called it a divine slap. This feeling threw him to the ground. A witness said that George had seemed quite drunk at the time and had to be carried home. Outside of Christmas, George was a tailor in the town of Yatton, Somerset in England. His neighbours described him as kind and devout, but his fall during the mummeries had a lasting effect. When he woke up from his divine slap, he began to suffer with seizures described as fits of an alarming nature. During these seizures, George was unable to speak, although stories state that he would make strange sounds like the bark of a dog He would swear and curse where he wouldn't before and was known to sing and scream in ways that didn't resemble human speech anymore. These fits were said to have ended with a strong agitation of the right hand. The only thing that I can find about that says that his hand twisted and twitched. He had to suffer with these seizures without medical intervention until May 1775. That's over five years. His parish finally admitted him to a clinic on May 3rd of 1775, but the ordeal doesn't end with this. His condition worsened during his 20 weeks of examinations. George was given laudanum, an opioid painkiller, but it didn't seem to help. After the 20 weeks, one doctor described George as a hypochondriac. He was sent away from the clinic on October 8th, 1775. George had sought other opinions during his time in the clinic, particularly from cunning folk or practitioners of magic. A woman from Bedminster, which at the time was a small town outside of Bristol, prescribed him some rolled up brown papers sealed with pins. These were burned in a fire whenever George experienced a fit. Others just convinced George that poor and infirm old people had bewitched him. 
George was so convinced that this was the truth that he even attacked an elderly woman and attempted to draw her blood. What he wanted the blood for, though, is unknown. After his release from the clinic, George moved back to Yatin and lived with his brother. Except his brother wasn't able to manage George's behaviour and sent him away. From his brother's house, George moved into the house of a man named Richard Beecham. Whilst living there, all his symptoms stopped. He moved out of the Beecham home and was symptom-free for over a decade. It all came back in 1787 though. This time, George moved away from accusations of witchcraft, claiming that he was possessed by the devil. The returning symptoms came in a spectacular show. He'd been living with a man named Westcote, experiencing an episode that caused him to show a variety of expressions and sounds and leaving witnesses in a state of horror. One of those witnesses was Sarah Barber. She'd been a member of the Temple Church in Bristol for nine years, but because her husband was from Yatton as well, she knew of George and his condition. This is where most versions of the story of George Lukens begin. On May 31st, 1788, Sarah approached the vicar at the Temple Church, Reverend Joseph Easterbrook. She asked him to help her, explaining that she had seen a man afflicted with the most extraordinary malady, and that she had heard him say he was possessed by seven devils, and that not even medicine could relieve him of his problem. According to Reverend Easterbrook's journal, he met with George several times in the church to decide whether or not he was possessed. Once he had determined that, he needed to get permission to perform an exorcism. Remember, this is 1700s England, so it's a Protestant country, which meant that according to the 1604 canons of the Church of England, Easterbrook had to seek permission from the Church of England Episcopal Authority. He called for a meeting to discuss the possibility of an exorcism with three other Anglican reverends. The petition for the exorcism was rejected, but Easterbrook didn't give up. He contacted Reverend John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement. Wesley himself declined to participate, but six other priests agreed to aid Easterbrook in his exorcism. A committee of six Wesleyan ministers also aided in preparing for the ritual. One of the attending priests, Reverend John Valton, knew George when he was a teenager. He wrote of him saying, I personally knew him, a youth about 18, short in stature and meagre in aspect. He had frequent fits or paroxysms and was sometimes affected like the Pythonesses or rather like the Furies, mentioned often by Herodotus and ancient writers. He was cruelly distorted and uttered foul language but was often heard to say that he should be delivered if seven ministers should pray with him. Valton actually went to meet George before the exorcism and told him that when he had received the request to help, he believed that he was unworthy of helping. The day before he met with George, he said he had found the faith to meet with George and the seven devils. During this time, Easterbrook had been attempting to be discreet about their plans. However, a letter from an anonymous source reached the Bristol Gazette on June 11th. 
This letter described everything happening to George and said that the assembled team of priests and ministers weren't the smartest of men. Sure enough, the information became front page news of a discreet exorcism, which suddenly became a public event. At 11am on Friday, June 13th, 1787, Easterbrook assembled his team of priests and Wesleyan ministers in the vestry of the temple church. Outside, members of the public had climbed onto the wall so they could see inside and witness the ordeal. It's said that they heard parts of the ordeal and took their accounts to newspapers later. Similar to a Catholic exorcism, an Anglican exorcism consists of demands for the demons to leave, accompanied by prayers and hymns. When performed correctly, it would likely be difficult to tell the difference between a Catholic and Anglican exorcism. When the priests began to sing hymns, George's face distorted and his body began to spasm. At times, he would speak in a hoarse voice, with a deep but hollow tone, claiming to be under the influence of an invisible force. He would shout blasphemous things in a male and female voice, sing, laugh and periodically declare himself the devil. He vowed eternal vengeance on those who opposed him and called upon faithful and obedient servants to aid him. George got so violent that it was difficult for even two men to hold him down. As the priests prayed over him, George sang to the devil. They prayed in Greek and Latin, but the demons were apparently unable to reply in those languages. No matter what the priests would do, George would refuse to do it if it involved anything religious. The turning point was when George asked if he had to give up his power. As soon as he asked, he began to howl. The priests continued their prayers. George eventually shouted that he had been deceived and asked where the demons should go. And the priests answered by telling him that the demons needed to go back to hell to leave him alone. After two hours of prayer, George calmed down. In his own voice, he said, Blessed Jesus, and praised God for his deliverance before reciting the Lord's Prayer. From that day, George appeared to suffer no symptoms again. The priests thought they had delivered George from his devils in secret, but the people outside begged to differ. They took their observations to the papers, and once again, George was front page news, but this time, across the country. It was met with scepticism, with many believing that George was played by an imposter. People in Yatton that had known George came forward to say that the whole possession story was faked. He was well known for his acting skills and had been diagnosed as a hypochondriac. Medical doctors weighed in on the situation, genuinely being dismissive of the idea of possession. Their theories ranged from fraud, to suggesting epilepsy, to reiterating that George was a hypochondriac, to a case of rabies. John Easterbrook fired right back, writing a treatise in 1788. This book was written in an attempt to vindicate the people who spent time trying to help George. This was met with even more scepticism. The life of George Lukins after the exorcism is a little confused. In 1882, it was said that George had lived a pious life and didn't experience seizures anymore. 
He was also said to have become a respected member of Wesleyan society in 1798. However, in the Yatton Parish records from 1788, the parish had provided George with relief money and was promised more if he went to see a man called Mr Say to do any jobs he had for George. George had refused to do that though, saying he would go to Bristol until he was forced to come back. I can't find anything else on George Lukins, so this has to be the end of his story. Once again, we find a story of an exorcism that's gone well. That's half of the stories so far now that have ended well. As well as that, it's a Protestant exorcism performed correctly. That's one Catholic, one Protestant. They can both work. Except there are major problems with this story. The possession falls into biblical tropes. First, George said he had seven devils in him which was the same number said to have plagued Mary Magdalene. Then we have the problem with the exorcism. He was spoken to in Greek and Latin, but wouldn't respond to them. Part of the idea of possession involves the afflicted being able to speak in tongues that they wouldn't understand beforehand. But George still didn't understand them, even during his exorcism, where the demons would likely be most active. Leaning further into that, George was well known for his acting skills, especially his mimicry. This takes a lot of the credibility out of the situation. George, being an actor, had the skills to convince people that he was really suffering with something. But I don't understand why he would do it. He was possessed for 18 years, with a break for about a decade before the exorcism. Would he really keep up the act for that long? It doesn't really make much sense. And the question of who he was doing it to fool is still unanswered. There isn't much to discuss here. It just creates more questions. Whether or not George Lukins was actually possessed is questionable. And I'll leave the decision up to you. The information from this episode came from a Last Gasps article on the exorcism of George Lukins, an all that's interesting article about George Lukins, a Bruminate article about the exorcism, and an Ancient Origins article about George Lukins. References and links are posted on social media if you want to take a look. The link tree is available in the episode description, so you can go to your preferred social media or listen on your preferred platform. Patreon is still unchanged with a £3 tier if you want to support me but I have nothing to put on there yet suggestions, personal stories and corrections can be sent through the email in the episode description too the next episode releases tomorrow and Creature Features will return next week so hold on until then